This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Fun Friday, my name is Jeff Sandu. Blade Runner, Altered Carbon and Humans outline very different visions of a future where machines have replaced human workers. Which of those futures are we headed for? Well, it's time to Matt's Blade with Culture Pops, Matt Armitage. Hey, Matt. Hey, Jeff. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the idea of not turning your back on technology. Mm. Now, since that show, I've seen a few articles on various websites about something that people are also call, calling the neo-Luddite movement, which, you know, it goes to show that we're always a, a step ahead on oh, this show. Nice. Uh, on my other podcast, uh, MX, I did a recent episode where I talked about some of the reasons why I think it may be more difficult for the next generation of job seekers to find meaningful work. Now, that was quite a short segment, um, but it received a lot of positive feedback, mm. especially from people asking me to expand the argument and the parameters uh, a little bit more. So in light of what we've been saying about not turning your back on technology, I wanted to go into a bit more detail about how automation and artificial intelligence have changed, are changing, and will change the working lives of tens of millions of people. So this is another light-hearted show for Friday morning, then. Yes, we should call ourselves doom and gloom. Um, you get to be doom. You know, I'm British, so ah, I think I'm mm. contractually obligated to be gloom. Uh, <laughs> there was a, a funny little story that came out earlier this week, which was about machine intelligence being used by companies to do the initial screening of uh, job application videos. I don't know if you managed to catch that, but the idea behind this technology is that the AI will analyze the video clips and it looks for facial characteristics mm. that it believes correspond with the data points that have been uh, set determining the suitability of candidates for the job. Wow. So that means the machines will be looking for the same sorts of cues that have already been discredited in lie detector tests. So mm. we'll ignore for the moment the abilities of AI when it comes to interpreting human features and gestures. Uh, we certainly won't mention that time that Google's algorithms found it hard to distinguish between <laughs> black people and gorillas. Mm. Uh, we won't mention either the potential for the machines to perpetuate gender or race biases that uh, a given firm may uh, already be experiencing, or the fact that I had a very entertaining discussion about this with a friend earlier this week. So hello, Rob, if you're listening. Um, no, what we will concentrate on is the blackly comic part of this story. <laughs> the previous examples weren't black comedy? Well, not compared to this, huh? no. Um, as I discussed with Rob, and we'll talk about throughout this uh, this show, the AI we have right now, despite various people claiming that, you know, we're already reaching the end of the world and the end times are with us, the AI we have right now is not actually very smart. Mm. Um, it sits somewhere between a small child and Gotham, uh, a 13-week-old <laughs> French bulldog. <laughs> now, of course, it's up to you to decide which of those two you think is smarter. It's the puppy. Um, but in a few <laughs> years' time... AI will be very, very smart. Mm. But by the time it gets smart enough to accurately screen human job applicants, it will almost certainly be smart enough to be their boss, let alone to do their jobs. So I don't see AI as being the future of the human resources industry unless the AI is interviewing other algorithms for your job. Mm. Well, as you can hear, listeners, today is another one of Matt's famously fair and balanced show. 
I think people know by now <laughs> that if they want fair and balanced, they're in the wrong place. Uh, if you want opinionated with a couple of poorly developed jokes, then this is the 20-minute highlight of your day. Okay, so let's cover the basics. How is technology disrupting our workplaces? Well, technology in the workplace is not new. I mean, that's something we've said on the show over and over. We found remnants of the uh, Antikythera mechanism, a sophisticated Roman-era computer Mm. that's actually of Greek origin, and we believe that that was used to make astrological and astronomical calculations. When we talk about technology in this sense, we're talking about something that is much broader than the digital technology that uh, we talk about in today's terms. Uh, We wouldn't have reached the point we're at today unless we'd had a whole load of those technological advances (laughs) over the last few thousand years. And we've said it on the show numerous times. uh, We wouldn't be where we are today without advances like the plough or something like the yoke, which allowed us to attach animals and occasionally children to those (laughs) ploughs. So this in turn led us to form ever larger towns and cities whose inhabitants were then freed from the duties of producing Mm. food, at least in the rawest form. And that's what kind of enabled art and literature and science and mathematics to kind of blossom and flourish. Well, but some people might argue that science isn't exactly flourishing right now. Yeah, and that's one of the biggest ironies of uh, our time and the the place that we find ourselves in now. Um, Societies that adopt this model of specialisation tend to produce a lot of experts. Mm. And it turns out that people don't like experts, um, which is why they tune into this show, because let's face it, we're not even gifted amateurs. Um, I changed the the seat on my bicycle this week and it took me an hour. It was just two bolts. Mm, mm. In fact, I lost one of the brackets for nearly an hour. It fell off the bike, it bounced off the floor and landed when I found it on top of some books right at the back of the first level of the adjacent shelves. It was only when I pulled out a ridiculously high-powered torch after 20 minutes of going down on my hands and knees Mm. and looking under everything (laughs) that it finally shimmered and I found it. But anyway, back to the story. The second irony is, of course, is that technology itself is starting to make the experts that nobody likes obsolete as well. And this is the good bit where you explain to people that technology will take their jobs away, but that technology is still great for us. Yeah, it does take the fun out of this show when you summarise what I say before I've actually said it. But yes, you are right. Um, We've used this example on the show a couple of times. Uh, One of the industries that Donald Trump promised to Mm. return to its former glory in the US is the coal industry. But even if you reopen the mines or you start digging new mines, what you don't really need is a lot of people uh, because human machines, sorry, huge machines do the digging and excavating and transporting. If we were still using large groups of people with pickaxes and wheelbarrows, (laughs) that would be a sign that technology had failed us um, because mining of every sort is hard and dangerous work. Um, I certainly don't need to tell that to Malaysians, many of whom had ancestors Mm. who would have worked in the tin and various mines that were, you know, a mainstay of this country's colonial economy. So when you're lounging around at coffee shops in Malaysia, you're not exactly overwhelmed with people moaning about the good old days of the tin mines. Um, I wasn't there, so I can't say for certain, but I can't imagine there were very many good days Mm. in those tin mines. Mm. Mm. Not a lot of romance or nostalgia for people to be harking back to. It was just people doing what they could to earn a living. 
I'm kind of wondering if that makes Uber drivers the tin miners of our era. But I think we were talking about coal mines here, Matt. Uh, yes. Yeah, I can't remember what I'm talking about for more than a few seconds. Um, coal mines. Yeah, pretty much everything in modern mines is automated, and that's the way it should be. People who spend their lives underground breathing in dust tend to get sick quite quickly. Uh, I'm not sure how true this next statistic is, but I remember hearing it on a radio show recently, and it said that blue-collar workers in the United States are a net drain on the mm. U.S. economy because over their lives they take more money out of the system than they put in. A large chunk of that is for healthcare, which is often the result of conditions or strains that they get from the jobs they do, which, of course, is a hidden subsidy to that industry because that company, those industries aren't covering the social costs that they incur. Mm. And we're not just talking about illnesses like uh, mining-related black lung or the cancers and tumors that other unnamed industries might allegedly cause. We're talking about the long-term damage done to the human body by simple, hard physical labor. Or, of course, the long-term damage done to the human body by spending all day sitting in an office and not doing any simple yeah. physical labor. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, as much as working is good for us, it's also very bad for us. Um, it's like a glass of wine. It has positive health benefits. It has negative health benefits. And no one can quite agree whether you should or shouldn't have a glass. As usual, when Matt starts to get weird, we go for a break. We'll be right back. BFM 89.9. Breaking Financial Matters. BFM 89.9. And we're back. It's Fun Friday. We're talking about jobs. Uh, and I'm not going to be bothered about picking up where we left off. But Matt, let's just go back to making people happy that machines are taking over their jobs. Okay, I accept the challenge. Um, a lot of these advances are certainly to be applauded. Um, let's look at the kind of machinery that's coming into the medical sector. Um, augmented reality and robotics are already being used for surgical procedures. Robot systems uh, have been used for quite a few years for microsurgery. So surgeons manipulate the arms with special remote control handles and they watch the proceedings in close-up on video monitors. So it's kind of a, a call of duty that uses mm. your nervous system for a kill zone. <laughs> and just like call of duty, it can be networked and done over the internet. And that's genuinely, uh, that's genuinely important in new and emerging fields where relatively few expert uh, surgeons exist, especially in countries that have less access to those kind of specialist surgeries and clinics. It means that doctors can operate on patients pretty much anywhere in the world. But those machines aren't replacing the doctors, right? Not yet, but that's stage two, really. If you've ever played the um, board game Operation, oh, no. um, the inside of the human body is really nothing like that <laughs> game. Uh, even for very experienced <laughs> surgeons, finding your way around the in mm, intricacies mm. and idiosyncrasies of the human body can really be a challenge. Yeah. And that's where the augmented reality comes in, because your body can be scanned ahead of the surgery and a detailed map of mm. your innards, not mm. just a yeah. general anatomical yeah. model, can be projected onto a screen that's in the surgeon's vision. And that makes it very useful if you want to avoid having someone nick an artery that's hidden under a layer of your Netflix-induced fat. But that still doesn't replace the doctors, right? Well, when you're talking about adaptive technology and machine learning, 
these are the advances that we're seeing now. It's only a short jump to automate the machines with a human surgeon looking on to, to guide them. Uh, I had sinus surgery last year, and from what I understand, they used a laser to cut out the meat mm. and cauterize the wound because, you know, it's kind of close to the yeah. brain. So you want something that's quite precise. Of course, that has to be computer calibrated and controlled because mm. if you're firing a laser mm -mm. Uh, that can burn through flesh mm. near somebody's brain, yeah. that's a very fine procedure. So there's a lot of computerization. There's, there's a lot of machine intelligence there already. And it's the same story when we come to diagnostic medicine. Um, incidentally, if you're a fan of medical war stories, I have just finished a book called This Is Going to Hurt by a former doctor called Adam Kay. That's highly recommended, and you'll never look at your TV remote in the same way again. So we've turned into a book review show now. I do the sarcasm. Um, <laughs> no, junior doctors do a fantastic job, but they're often under-resourced, overworked, and yeah. underpaid. Mm. And the chances are that your point of contact with them will be in a chaotically busy emergency room in a hospital, which is not the ideal set of laboratory conditions to figure out what's wrong with you. Um, if you've got a Klingon sword poking out of your leg after a cosplay session gone wrong, the diet's the diagnosis is probably pretty straightforward. But once they've run through the usual suspects and you're not ticking the boxes for those, mm. you're kind of straying into the territory of the lottery and memory game. How many of the hundreds and thousands of illnesses and conditions and syndromes can the doctors on call actually remember? Yeah. So the next generation of diagnostic machines um, that are being developed, they're not yet in service, they promise to do all of that because they will be able to remember the hundreds and thousands of illnesses and conditions and syndromes. They won't get tired. They won't be overworked. They won't have low blood sugar because they haven't <laughs> been able to go and eat a meal for yeah. 15 hours. And that will free up the human doctors to do the things that they are best at, which is to look at the information that's missing and make those, those mental leaps, make that two and two equal five. Mm. So your argument is basically machines can replace miners and doctors. So we're all out of a job? Well, ask yourself, is your job as complicated as a junior doctor in a busy emergency room? Mm. If the answer you come up with is no, why would you think a machine can't do your job as le at least as well and probably better than you can? Mm. I know that's blunt and bleak, and, you know, I've got no delusions of grandeur when it comes to machines replacing me and what I do. Um, but I will get to the less blunt and bleak. Well, blunt and less bleak. Um, as I said near the start, technology replacing people is nothing new. It's the way things have always been. Each new piece of technology usually means fewer people to do the jobs mm. that came before. Mm. In the past, we've relied on new and emerging industries to soak up that redundant labor force. And it's not a perfect system, I know, but it has worked moderately effectively for the last couple of thousand years. But does that model still apply in the world of robots and machine intelligence? Well, that's the problem, <laughs> isn't it? That's the point. Um, where we run into problems is that we now have thinking machines. Yeah, so yeah. if you think about the progress of jobs as roughly equaling them getting better for people, by which I mean safer and less physically debilitating, 
the idea of miners becoming call center operatives may not be the most desirable outcome, but broadly it's a, a win for society. Yeah. Yeah. It takes those people out of a dangerous occupation and it puts them into a safer one. Um, so, of course, that's broadly advantageous. Chances are there are going to be fewer health costs associated with that person. They'll have a longer working life during which they pay more taxes and they'll be spending money on smartphones and food. Mm. So, you know, they'll be behaving like the good capitalist worker that we need them to be. Yeah. But that model breaks down when you can't move people from one occupation to another one. But hasn't that been the case for a long time? I mean, fewer manual jobs and a difficult transition from blue-collar jobs to white-collar of, of course, and that's why I said it's not a perfect system. The number of jobs may balance out, but not necessarily in terms of the distribution of skills, which is why we find that in developed societies, they will still import a lot of skilled or specialist workers from overseas, mm. even though there may be large pools of unemployed workers already in that country. So Donald Trump can't bring back coal mines? Well, ignoring the ethical argument about the suitability of coal, mm -hmm. and I do feel I've said that on the show before, he can certainly bring the coal industry back, assuming that there's anyone who wants to buy the, <laughs> the filthy stuff in the first place. But the mining jobs just don't exist anymore. Mm. So it may give a short-term boost to the US economy, but the impact in terms of jobs is probably not much more than a strip mall full of fast food joints. Mm. I mean, look at car service centers. I've eaten food at places that are dirtier than the service bay where they drain the oil out of yeah, my car. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. it's quite astonishing, it's, it's the, the transformation. <laughs> the whole idea of human servicing your car is yeah. weird because your car was built by a robot <laughs> and a machine in almost surgical, dust-free yeah. conditions. So, you know, what are we saying with that? Are we saying that we need humans to come in and do the menial work that machines <laughs> don't want to do? It's supposed to be the other way around. That's not how it's supposed to be. Yeah. But why are we not creating as many jobs as we are losing them? Because we can't all be app makers. The mm. numbers just don't <laughs> add up. Um, the app store would be really hard to navigate if it had 9 billion apps inside. <laughs> and I know there is probably mm. a growing trade for artisanal beard oils, but that's not really an answer to looming mass unemployment. Mm. The new jobs, such as they are, are very often casual, which means kind of part-time work, yeah. or for a lot of people, they're just underemployed. Or it's gig economy stuff like Uber, Airbnb, TaskRabbit, or whatever other services are still out there. And at the other end of the spectrum, it's the market for very highly skilled people like beard shaping experts and user experience programming but even the user experience jobs will go to machines at some point and in a few years you'll probably just dunk your head in some kind of 3d printer to get your beard spruced up so you won't need that guy either mm. um did i say it was going to get less bleak well i'm not surprised with the show today or any other show when it comes to fan friday and matt's playing no so, yeah, yeah. I, it was just an example of me lying um long time listeners will recognize that as a device i use to stop them yeah. losing all sense of hope before we reach the kind of closing moments of my matalog oh, so does that mean the show's finish or life as we know it is both <laughs> either one or the other. Who knows? Prediction is kind of like a schizophrenic tumbleweed. So the jury is still out on that one. Mm. Um, in fact, I think Gotham the puppy would have as good a chance of cracking the answer to these questions as an economist like Paul Krugman. 
But even a child can understand the basics of this, or in this case, Gotham. Uh, you can't have a society that relies on selling and buying stuff when no one is earning any money and can't buy what other people are selling. You know, people do need stable incomes. Mm. One of the reasons behind the phenomenal success of the 20th century was that we invented the consumer society. And that was largely done by improving the wages and the working and living conditions of everyday people. So what happens when that social contract breaks down is pretty much anyone's guess. But I would imagine it involves a desert and a thunderdome and probably my Klingon battle axe. <laughs> if that's the future you want to live in, then you can get in touch with Matt Armitage. You can just find all the information about this show and also other shows. You can also get the full transcripts of, uh, uh, of all the shows that we've done on culturepop.com. It's culturepop with a K because it's just... K for Klingon. K for Klingon. (laughs) We'll be right back with Geek Squawks after this. BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, the business station.